0: Welcome, everybody, to City Church. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for coming out today. We have a couple of announcements for you before you begin. One, if you were a guest, we would like to say, again, thank you for you coming out. Uh, there are communication cards on the seats all around you. Please feel free to grab one and fill it out whenever the offering comes around in a moment. And that will be a way for us to say thank you, welcome, we appreciate you being here, okay? Uh, next. If you wouldn't mind, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, are a user of Facebook... Please feel free to check into the church. It actually allows people to get to know that we exist, Uh, especially whenever they see that multiples of their friends and family go to the church, then they will be likely more so to think of us as a thing that they could go to at some point, if that makes sense. This is an easy way to let your network know that we're here, all right? Uh, I would like to invite Joy up to make an announcement about the softball team as well. And who would have thought, I'm just throwing this out here, who would have thought that a team sport would be the thing that actually causes all the separate groups of our church to come together? I didn't expect it, but I love it. I love it.
1: There you go. Oh, yes, this. Yes, this. (laughs) Um, So we're, let me, let me start over we have practice today from 1.30 to 3.30, if you didn't get a message from me. If you can't attend, that's okay. It's at Price Park. I did. I do have um, schedules for, for the games coming up. And then um, payments are due either this weekend or next weekend at the latest. And um, you'll just make checks payable to me. And then whoever bought um, family um, shirts, I'll have, like, the totals for you for that. And if you have any questions, come find me. But I do have the schedules, so later, if you want to come find me, I'll give you a schedule.
0: Thank you so very much, Joy. All right, let's take a moment and pray and get ready to begin today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your just nature. We praise you for the fact that you are the judge of what is good and holy and right and that you are the one who matters in making decisions of these nature. Father, as we learn today about your justice, as we sing to you and worship you, as we come together to glorify you, may you be the center of everything we do. May we focus on you. May we show our love and affection to you. And Lord God, may we just pour ourselves out to you. I pray that you would be with us today. Allow us to know that you're here. And Lord God, may you be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with us today?
2: You are love You bring light to the dark
1: you this morning, to lift up our voices together in song and to praise you, to give you honor, to give you glory, to declare what a good God you are, what a great, mighty, and awesome God you are. May you be glorified in all that we do, in all that we sing, in all that we say, in all that we are. May you receive all the praise and all the honor. We love you.
2: Take our hearts, we lay them down at the feet of you whose crown. Take our lives, we're letting go. Lift them up, you whose throne. Take our hearts, lay them down at the feet of you whose crown, take our lives, letting go, lift them up to you whose throne we will worship. Our friends take our fear, all we have, but leaving here be all our hopes, be all our dreams. You're our delight, be our everything. We will worship you, Lord. Our hearts, O God, may our praises rise in one accord. In our lives, may your glory shine as reflections of the true divine. We consecrate our hearts, O Lord, may our praises rise in one accord. In our lives, may it glory shine as reflections of the true divine. We will worship.
1: This morning we praise your name, we honor you, may you be first and foremost in all we do, may we be focused on you in this service, focus on you in this church, in our lives, in everything we do, may we live and move and be in your being, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you that you're here among us, we thank you that you love us, that you are close to us, we just can't honor you and praise you enough. You are great and holy and mighty, Then we honor you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. You may be seated. Whew. Can you cut my volume just a little bit, Micah? Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we're going to be bringing around the offering. Uh, the offering is a way in which you... Uh, participate in what god is doing in city church by helping take care of our needs and so we thank you very much for being willing to do so if you do not carry cash or checks on you because who does anymore you can also give online at our website citychurchcanton.com just scroll down to the bottom of the page where it says uh, donate via paypal giving fund or you can also go to the donate now section in the official paypal app if you use that i know no one who actually does at this time with the children's workers please make their way over And also, kids, if you wouldn't mind making your way over to the side. Run, 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 run. Where are you running? Run. Can we pray for you guys real quick before we go? All right, let's take a second and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these kids. Father, I pray that as they are learning about you and growing, may they grow in you. I pray that you would reveal your heart to them, your love for them, and the way that you have cared for them and given yourself up for them. I'm closing my eyes because I'm praying. All right. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to learn about you every day. I pray that you be with the teachers as they teach. And Lord God, may you be glorified in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Eyes open. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're continuing in our sermon series called Injustice for All. And the concept that we're going over is the concept of a jubilee from the time it was instituted in Leviticus. And we're going to end up talking all the way through to the time whenever Jesus returns because the theme plays through our entire redemption history. And today we're talking about a very specific topic within this, one that has to be undergirding everything that we discuss when we discuss jubilee, because there's a concept that is tied very heavily to jubilee within our church culture. And the 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 concept is this, justice. So today we're talking about jubilee and the way that it matches with or meshes with justice, right? We all have opinions on what justice is like, right? Uh, who here doesn't read things on Facebook that just get them up in a dander because they see injustice happening in the world, right? We focus on injustice quite a bit. And injustice is a funny thing whenever we look at it because the church itself, it's kind of a like a buzzword that's tossed out a lot. Social justice is a huge thing, uh, It's such a buzzword that oftentimes we mistake noticing injustice with actually doing something to combat it, right? Who here has not seen or been that person who posts various things on their Facebook page or their Twitter feeds to proclaim the way that they hate injustice but never does anything about it, right? We hate the concept of Injustice, and we love the concept of justice. But justice and injustice are largely tied or ingrained to or put, uh, attributed to what we consider justice to be, right? You can see the way that the way people think about justice affects the way they see things as just or unjust just by looking at a really simple example that happened very recently. Uh, many of you probably saw things like this float across your feeds or your Facebook page or your news stories, uh, about the gentleman who was on a United flight and they had booked the flight to capacity uh, and then they decided to put four United workers onto that flight to get them to their next point where it moves, right? And because there was no space for those four workers, they asked for people to leave the flight and they asked again and they raised the money a little bit and then they decided, well, no one's giving up our seat. We're going to have a lottery. Four people that we pick are going to be kicked off and the lottery is really an algorithm based off of who paid the most. Oh, people who paid a lot don't get kicked off. People who paid the least and bought their tickets last get kicked off, right? And the gentleman did not want to leave the plane. He was a doctor, said he had patients waiting for him the next day, was unwilling to give up his seat because there were people who could be harmed if he wasn't there. And eventually the police were called on him, and they forcibly removed him, uh, causing what I would consider to be decently bad physical damage because blood's never a good thing to have come out of people, right? Right? And we hate this. And we see injustice in it. But I say we see injustice in it, knowing that everyone here probably says, yes, I see injustice. But there are probably people who have two different things they see as unjust about this. Uh, If you side with the plight of the man and you think corporations are unjust, you probably say it is horribly wrong for the corporation to do that, and the corporation should be given Uh, should be damaged because of it and blah 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 and not like the corporation, right? And if you think that the person should have been listening, I've seen that one. Please note, I'm being slightly sarcastic because I disagree with this side. Uh, But if you believe that the person should have respected the airline's memos and things of that nature, their internal documents, then the person should have left and the police never should have had to have been called and he should have been, there should have been no issue, right? There was the guy who was being unjust as opposed to the airline. And you see both sides arguing it because both sides have different ideas of what justice actually looks like, right? Because to some people, following the rules is just. And to some people, uh, never causing harm to people is the just thing, right? So depending on where you draw the line for what justice or injustice is, you can see things different ways, right? We're going to talk about justice not as people see it, but as God sees it. Because justice as we see it is one thing. Justice as God sees it is something entirely different, right? And so we're going to talk about the portion of Leviticus that talks about Jubilee. It's Leviticus 25. We're going to pull a couple of verses out of it because I read the whole thing last time. It's a pretty decent chunk of text. I'm not going to read it all again today. Uh, I would recommend, though, as we go through the series, read over Leviticus 25 a couple of times as you're going through it too so you familiarize yourself with it, right? We're going to talk about a couple of different topics that are within it. Here's the first one. The first topic we're talking about is Sabbath, right? A Sabbath rest of the land. In Leviticus 25, 2 through 5, we read these words. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of it in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. When you read about Jubilee, the first thing that is brought up is that the land itself is to be given rest. Every seven years. Then actually, whenever the Jubilee itself is sounded, on the seventh set of seven years, the land is to be given another extreme rest, right? And so this concept of resting the land is the first part of the, se- of the Levitical uh, Jubilee code, right? The land should have rest. Fun story, just randomly, this is not an unheard of or unweird thing for people to do whenever they actually are running fields. Uh, if you are actually farming... If you don't rest the land, if you do not allow it to go fallow every now and then, you will completely deplete your land and the land will no longer be able to sustain uh, farming, honestly. You won't be able to grow food that actually is nutritious anymore. And you'll end up starving to death, which is a horrible thing to happen. So, this is kind of a smart thing to do regardless. God does something weird, though, because normally, whenever people allow fields to go fallow, they let them go fallow uh, randomly on or off. And so this guy may have three different fields. One of them will be fallow, and two of them will be run every year. And they will just cycle them out. God actually institutes a year-long fallow period for the entire land of Israel. He puts it all on one giant calendar. And you may think to yourself, man, why would God do that? Why would this be important to him? Why would he actually have everyone rest their land at the same time? Well, consider this. Uh, Who here has ever worked a job where sometimes you're required to come in on your days off? Right yeah,. Well, well. Say you are working in retail or working in a factory or working in some uh, corporate structure that requires people to work on random days, right? Let's think specifically about stores or restaurants or factories, right? And you've got a whole bunch of people who work there, different shifts all day long, a whole bunch of people running through and doing things, right? And it's very easy at times, if the whole thing is running seven days a week, for you to say to your workers, "You know what?" Yes, I know you're supposed to get a day off every week, and I know it. You're supposed to have one to two off, right? But you know what? We have a really big order coming in, or we have a lot of, if you're in a restaurant, a lot of people coming in this day, or three other people called off, and we need someone to cover their shifts. You know what? It's really easy to just go ahead and say, even though you're supposed to get a day off, how about you just come in and work anyway, right? Uh, you shut down the factory or the restaurant or the business for a day. People aren't coming in, Right? You see, if God had just allowed people to rest their land periodically on their own terms, it'd be super easy for some people who were supposed to have their year off, their land off for a year, to say something like, you know what, my crop wasn't that good last year. Uh, you know what, I'd like to have a little more surplus, because whenever I read my Hebrew almanac, which it didn't have, but why not, uh, next year's supposed to be pretty bad. And so I'm going to go ahead and just gather more this year, so I just can't take my day off today. I'll take it off next time. I'll take my year off next year. And God says, nope, instituted, year off, now do it. Right? So Sabbath is placed in. Something else. He he deals with property, uh, specifically land-owned and houses-owned in Leviticus. Uh, So let's read this part real quick. Here's a really easy one. In Leviticus 25, 13, it says, In the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his or her own property. So whenever the year of Jubilee is sounded, every 49th or 50th year, depending on how you do the math, because people counted weird back then, there was a thing called basically open counting, where sometimes you don't start from zero, instead you start from one. And so there's a real big debate right now whether the Jubilee year was a special year after the seventh Sabbath year or if it was the seventh Sabbath year. So we don't know if it was every 49 or every 50 years. Fun story, side note. Anywho, in the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his or her property, right? Right? And so whenever the jubilee is sounded, whenever the ram's horn is blown, everything that you have bought or sold of the land, every parcel of land you own, was to be returned to its original owner. And so if you had gathered up 40 other people's plots of land over the past 50 years, whenever the jubilee sounds, all of those plots of land go back to the families that originally owned them, to the tribes that originally owned them, right? This was true of all the land given to Israel. And something else, people. So, there was not money, there were not credit cards, there was not a great way to actually uh, manage large amounts of credit during the time of Jubilee, uh, during the time of these years. And so people, whenever they would go into massive debt, would oftentimes sell themselves or members of their own households into servitude to other people in order to actually pay off those debts. Consider this. Say you were a farmer uh, and a subsistence farmer an agrarian person because all of these people, by the way, at this time, pretty much everyone was a farmer. That's how they lived. Everyone grew their own food, right? Say you were a farmer and you have a household of 30 people and your land usually covers enough food to feed those 30 and a little bit more and then for some reason, the land that you are running, a blight comes through, or uh, locusts come through, or all of your animals die, and you cannot feed your household for the 365 days that occur in the year. You just can't. You can't manage it. You're going to be a year without food now because you eat day to day, right? What do you do? One of the things they would do is they would say, uh, you, landowner over there, who owns the forty-acre parcels right now, uh, you who make far more money or have far more resources, far more food than you and your family need to survive, I will work your field for, say, the next three years because of growing seasons like a third of a year. Right? I don't know the numbers I'm saying right now. By the way, talking about Israeli economic practices and servitude, these numbers I'm making up in my head—they're not real. Don't go quoting them in economic books or anything. Okay. Say it takes a third of a year to work the growing season. You need three times that much food to last for the year, so I'll work for you for the next three growing seasons. I will be your servant for three years to cover the debt that we owe you if you feed our family. Or if you provide enough food for 30 people, I'll work you the next 33 growing cycles, whatever, right? People would give themselves into slavery. Uh, On 35, chapter 25, verse 35, it says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food at profit. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of jubilee. So worth noting at this point, this particular section, they're drawing a distinction between slavery and indentured servitude, one that we don't have as much of a—in uh, a, a, our culture, we don't consider them as different. But when you consider what the ramifications were in this period and in this culture, there was a very large difference between indentured servant and slave, right? In two weeks, we're talking about slavery because that plays into Leviticus. We're not going to talk about it today, though, okay? If you, an Israeli person, sell yourself into servitude in order to pay for your debt, at the year of Jubilee, you will be released. And so Jubilee has at least three elements to it. A couple more because there's a whole bunch of stipulations and codes within there. But Sabbath rest of, the, rest of the land and of the people because if the people are largely subsistence farmers, if the land is resting, guess what the people are doing? They're resting, right? So there's Sabbath rest, There's the return or the release of property that had been bought or purchased throughout the time before the Jubilee, and there's the release of people who have been bought or sold in the time prior to Jubilee. Fun story. The word that is used for release, as in you will release him, or return him, or redeem him, the word there is a thesis in Greek. Sorry, I'm reading off of the Septuagint because that's what the early biblical writers would have actually written off of in the New Testament so in Greek the word that's used for release is a thesis I'm pronouncing it wrong, my apologies but remember that word real quick So fun story whenever we read this section that ties very heavily into the concept of justice one thing starts to become super clear, it's not people's justice that matters, it's not what people think is the most important thing that matters as to what people get or what they deserve true justice is based on who God is and what he has done. Check this out. The people were called to Sabbath, right? And to let their land Sabbath. Who originally Sabbath and instituted Sabbath? Genesis 3-ish, right? Genesis 2, sorry, 2. And the seventh day, God rested. And then whenever the uh, people are called to Sabbath, it's always because the Lord Sabbath, you shall Sabbath. It is for you and for your Lord, right? So God called for the people to do something that he himself did. Uh, fun story, when we look at the way that people are dealt with, this, ch- this verse 38 is directly tied into the section of scripture we read about that dealt with people being and sold into servitude. In verse 38 it says, this is why you don't actually own people forever because he says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and who gave you the land of Canaan to be your God so whenever we look at people being brought out of servitude God is calling for the people to release themselves and Israel from servitude who released Israel from servitude originally if you think back to Exodus whenever the people were servants and slaves in Egypt who released them from their servitude God. He made it happen. He did it, right? And property as well. Who returned the people of Israel following that period of servitude to the land that he had promised their forefather Abraham? Who released people back to their land? God, right? So each of the sections that we read here, we see that the people of Israel were called to be just as their God was just. They were called to treat each other as their God had treated them. He called for them to have Sabbath rest. They were called to partake in Sabbath rest together. He called for them to be out of slavery, and he calls for them to forgive or release each other from slavery. He gave them their land and released them from the servitude they were in to go back into that land. He calls for the people to release the land that they're holding on to the original rightful owners you see justice is not based on what people do or what people believe justice is based on who God is and what he has done right? right let's take a couple of examples real quick though remember that person I talked about who could sell themselves into slavery for three years because they were in need of food for their family so imagine this Imagine that situation happened to someone, to two different people, right? The exact same thing. They both had blighted lands. They both lost all of their food. They both have borrowed enough or used enough food or taken enough food that they need to sell themselves into into servitude for three years to cover off the debt, right? And they're both exactly the same. But imagine this happened to one person three years prior to the Jubilee. It happened to another person one year prior. how do you feel about that justice? They both took on the same debt. They both took on the same burden. They both burdened another person in the same way. I'm going to take enough food from this other person to feed myself for blank years. But one person ends up with three years of servitude and one person ends up with one. Does that sound just to you? If I were a normal person acting normally, I would tend to say, no, that doesn't sound just. If that guy deserved three years, then that guy deserved three years. Or if that guy gets left off after one, why doesn't this guy? That just sounds stupid. It doesn't make sense. And that's because we as people really want things to be equal, right? (laughs) Right? We want for people to be paid the same amount of money for equal work. Let me rephrase. We claim we want to see people paid the same amount of money for equal work, right? We claim it pretty heavily. But whenever we realize the fact that uh, white women are paid 79 cents on the dollar for white men and uh, Hispanic women are paid 54 cents on the dollar for white men for equal work, we don't actually really care about it too heavily. We may post memes about it, but we don't do very much about it, right? We like to see equal pay for equal work. We claim it. Sometimes we don't do very much about it, right? We see this happen. And we, for some reason, as people, get upset. How do you feel whenever someone who seems like they don't deserve anything, just a real jerk, wins the lottery? Like, yeah, you know what? I was just hanging out home, buying my 19th pack of cigarettes for the day, had just gotten done yelling at my kid's mom, who I didn't want to talk to forever, uh, who just didn't really, uh, and I was playing video games all day, and I just, you know, I bought a lottery ticket too because I felt like it was a great investment strategy. Like, and I won $3 million. How much do you like that? Right? Versus someone who spends, uh, works three jobs because they're a single parent and they are trying to pay enough for their kids to be able to have a good education at some point, or honestly to, to feed their family while also paying for childcare because, man, that sucks, right? Uh, and that person struggling for years to just get by. And we get our hackles up because, man, justice would say that second person deserves a lot of money far more than the first, right? We like to see people get what they deserve and not get things they don't deserve. As people, this is what we do. Fun story. We're going to fast forward to a man teaching about concepts like this. In the book of Luke, I'm sorry, book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable goes like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day or a full day's wages, he sent them into his vineyard. And going on about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again to the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received the denarius. Well, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go, and I will choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first last? We love to see people get equal things, right? Then Jesus tells the story. Hey, guys, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, all right? There's going to be people who come and show up and work and do hard labor for 11 hours, 12 hours, and they'll be working hard, and they'll be paid a fair wage for their work, a full day's wage for their work. And then I'll see some people at noon and I'll bring them in as well. And they'll get paid a full day's wage for their work. And they will see some people who come in an hour before quitting time, and they'll come in, and I'll pay them a full day's wage for their work. Huh. Weird. In kingdom principles, in Christ principles, it's not what the people think the people deserve that matters. It's what the God, or the Master in this case, who blesses them, chooses to give them that matters. You see, justice is based off of the relationship between the master and the person, not between the people themselves, right? Fun other story. In Luke, which ties heavily into jubilary themes, we read at one point Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, right? And we know the verse, which says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, death, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Leave us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's actually the version from Matthew. The version from Luke has a couple things cut out and changes the word because Jesus probably taught people how to pray on more than one occasion. In Luke, he says it like this. And when he says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Fun story, that word forgive, a thesis. Lord, release us from our sins as we release everyone who is indebted to us. Interesting. Interesting. Release us from our sins as we release those who are indebted to us. God. Christ himself calls for people to pray that we would be released from our indebtedness to God in the way that we release our indebtedness to others. Interesting. Final section on justice. If God is the example for what true justice looks like, if God himself is who we look to today as our model for what we're supposed to function as, let's look at the ultimate model. Christ himself, who is perfect no wrong, deserves all the glory and honor and wealth and generosity and blessing of the Father he could ever receive, never deserved death or punishment never deserved to be berated by others or harassed never deserved to undergo hardship never deserved anything but pure, perfect pre-fall of man life because he is perfect took on to himself the indebtedness of us Paid the price necessary to release us from our debt. And released us from the grasps of Satan, of sin, of death, and of the effects of this fallen world. And So in this case, we see God doing something again, which is giving up what he deserves on behalf of us who could never deserve it. if the example that God showed Israel is what God then called Israel to do to and among each other what do you think we are called to do as followers of Christ as we are seeking justice in the world I hear white guys saying it's not fair women get paid less than them regularly I rarely see white guys say, take 30% of my pay and give it to her, so that we're kind of equal. Happens sometimes. There was an actual guy who, uh, there was a CEO recently, who, there was a study that came out that said 70 grand is what people need to be happy with money. I disagree with the study, but okay, sure, 70 grand is what people need to make money to be happy. Uh, I've seen people who make far more than that and far less than that who aren't happy. And I've seen people who make far more and far less who are happy, right? But he read a study that said 70 grand is what people need to make to be happy. His salary was something like 50 million dollars a year. He cut his salary to 70 grand and had the rest of the company split up the proceeds amongst the rest of his employees and uh, chose to set up each person's salary so that they would end up hitting 70 grand over the next five years. That's weird he would do that and super not what our culture thinks is worthwhile because he gave literally everyone 70 grand from person who runs the carpool to the administrative assistants to the janitors to the programmers like everyone gets 70 and some people who had skills that they paid a lot of money to learn and normally would be paid more than that were unhappy people who did not have these qualifications or these debts that were acquired trying to make money to learn to do the things they do were extremely happy about it. But they were unhappy. And they were happy. And some people thought it was just and awesome, some people thought it was stupid. I honestly don't even know if the guy was doing it for great reasons. It appears he had some bad publicity coming down beforehand. He decided to offset it with some really good ones too. I'm not saying he was awesome or his motives were great. But it's a weird concept. He decided to shoot for and strive for equality. If any of you run businesses or own them, are you doing the same thing? Do you shoot not to give people what you think they deserve, but to give them what Christ would give them if he could? Fun story. We're going to take this back one more step. You guys saw this video, right? Everyone saw it? Saw the people getting upset about it. Saw everyone posting on Facebook about it. Everyone getting upset and angry about the injustice of it. Saw the person choosing not to get out of his seat and perhaps stepping out of order. Uh, Saw the airline doing something silly and sending police to a matter that probably didn't need police to be brought or involved in. uh, And using force to do something that probably didn't need force to be done. It didn't matter, right? And we saw people who were taking video of it People who are saying, hey, that's not right about it. Uh, If you actually watch this video, it's fun to see the number of people whose phones all pop out as the police come on the plane and all pan back and, like, there's, like, everyone is recording on their iPhones. Like, we're all going to post this because this will be what fixes this injustice. Do you want to know what would have been actually Christ-like and what would have actually fixed that injustice? If one of the other people would have stood up and said, you know what? He can have my seat. I'll step off. Any of those people have deserved to have been left behind? No, they all paid for their seats, right? They'd have been doing something they don't deserve to give something to someone else. That would have been like a, a Christ-like way to actually see justice happen. So, if you ever want to fix this, if you ever fly again, if you see a situation like this starting to escalate, and you want to actually help it, don't pull out your phone. Say, stand, stand up, sappers. So you can have my seat. Where I'm going probably isn't as important. Or, you know what, where I'm going maybe be as important, but people may not die because of it. And it's not worth seeing someone get beat up and dragged off a plane for. I can be a day late. Make sense? As you see injustices happen around you, if you actually notice them, the thing to do is to act in whatever way you can and be willing to sacrifice your own comfort for it. And be willing to sacrifice yourself for it. In doing so, you will be demonstrating Christ-like justice. Justice which says, my worth doesn't matter. I could be holy in my right, but I still value that person more. So I'm going to do what I can for them. What I'm trying to get us past here is this concept that posting a video on your Facebook page does anything to help injustice. <laughs> sure, awareness is nice. Awareness doesn't do that much, guys. Have you ever seen, have you just looked through Kickstarter pages of how many shares random things get versus how much money they bring in? Or, uh, what's the, not Kickstarter, what's the other one? The one people actually fund needs. Go fund me. Thank you. Uh, I said Kickstarter. Also, Kickstarter, a different ripoff. I was throwing that out there. Uh, don't give your money to things that can't physically exist on Kickstarter. That's just a random note of wisdom. Remember that. Anywho. On GoFundMe, scroll through the GoFundMe page, and some of them blow up and people get millions of dollars for things that are needed or things that are unneeded. There was a GoFundMe page for I want to make some potato salad. You guys see this one? Oh, I love that one. You guys said, oh, make me some potato salad. I need $13. GoFundMe page. And it made something like $287,000. Yeah. <laughs> He ended up throwing a, a make potato salad party and flew people in to come and eat some of his homemade potato salad as one of the backer levels because people kept doing it and kept giving him more money, right? Did that seem like the kind of thing that probably deserved 200 and some thousand dollars? And it might actually be far higher than that by now. 200 is where I stopped paying attention. Yeah, probably not the most just thing for people to give their money to, right? But who cares? They can give their money where they want then you'll see people who are in dire need of help and have seen their thing shared 37,000, times with $14 on the backer page. I would rather you actually give money to someone in need than ever post their GoFundMe page ever again. I say this as a dude who sometimes for the church makes GoFundMe pages. Because why not? They're boring and people see them, right? And eyeballs are worth something whenever you don't actually need too large an amount of money. Be willing to help. We live in a culture wherein we assume that the things that we do or say online actually make a difference when it's the things that we say and do in real life that actually matter. If you see someone being treated in an unjust way, in a way that would actually cause harm, be willing to do what you can to de-escalate that situation, to protect, to show love. Take care of people, guys. And be like Jesus, who didn't consider himself worthy of being saved, or worthy of being uh, treated well, or worthy of being protected or perfected. He could have demanded protection. He would have gotten it. Remember, legions of angels can show up at his side and protect him if he wanted. He chose not to do it. He could have demanded justice at that point. And instead, he chose mercy, which is choosing to forgive someone of something that they should rightfully receive. And he chose to exercise grace, which is giving to people something that they don't deserve. God-like justice withholds indebtedness. You do not maintain debt towards other people. And you give people more than they deserve. If you do that, you look like Jesus. If you choose not to, remember this section. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. you guys, choosing to function like Jesus in society is not a little thing or a thing that Christians can just be like, "All right, sure yeah, I'll get to it, I'm learning about it okay Christ actually tells you to pray that you'll be forgiven in the way you forgive so if you're not a forgiving person and you pray that prayer how well are you and Jesus doing? pretty rough, right? final, final takeaway justice is not about who we are and what we would like to see done it's not based on our values or what we see as right or wrong and I need to be honest here and I will be super honest as you guys probably picked up sometimes whenever I was touching on examples you could see some of the things that I value and you can see where I think justice should be served, right? right? My wife is in a field that is very male dominated. She will likely be given, if she ever looks for a different position, lower job offers than men who are at her level simply because she's a woman. I won't. That's something that I value and matters to me, right? But my values aren't actually what matters, God's values matter. Christ matters. So as you go throughout your week, there are two things I want you to do. One, keep your eyes open for areas of injustice you yourself have the ability to address. And there likely will be at least one or two because you cannot exist in our culture without running your head up against injustice in some way, shape, or form. Or any culture, honestly, because we're people and people suck. Right? Keep an eye open for where you can see injustice happening. And take steps to address it in whatever they are. I promise you, you will probably step wrong at first. We always do. The actions you make may not be the best or most helpful or perfect. But do something other than talk about it. And as you see injustices happen on your Facebook page and your Twitter feed and your Snapchats and whatever the kids are using nowadays, and your Snapchats, I tried so hard to learn how to use Snapchat, and it did not work, guys. (laughs) That's how you can tell how old I am. I know Facebook, I understand but don't like Twitter, and I just don't know what Snapchat is. That's right where I am at in the generation, right? As you see injustices pop up, take some time to think through, if I were in that situation, how could I have actually helped the situation? what could I have done? And why do I want you to go through things like this and start thinking on ways you can help? Simple reason why, we tend to do or act on rote basis relatively often. If your first instinct whenever you see something cute or funny or good or bad or difficult is to pull out your phone and take a picture or video of it, whenever something injustice-like happens, what's your first response going to be without thinking? Pull out your phone take a picture or video of it, right? You guys ever heard of the, I think it's the Meliard experiment, the one where they shock people? You guys know what I'm talking about? No? Let me walk you through it. I see like three vigorous yeses and four like I got no ideas. Okay. There was an experiment done uh, by a professor who wanted to see how people accept authority and how much authority overrides people's basic common human decency. So they uh, set people up, and they said, here's the experiment, you. I'm a doctor. I will tell you everything is okay, okay? Uh, Here's a dial that controls how much electricity is going into these electrodes right here. Uh, And and if you pass this certain point, if you shock someone, you risk giving them a heart attack and killing them. Just so you know, right here, this dot, if the dial's passed there, and you press the button, and someone's attached to it, you risk giving them a heart attack and killing them, right? Uh, also, we're going to attach this person to these electrodes on the other side. And we're going to start out really low, and we're going to ask them trivia questions. And as we ask them trivia questions, uh, if they get the answer right, good. If they get it wrong, you press the button and you turn up the dial a little bit. All right? And the doctor will be sitting next to you the entire time. So don't worry. Nothing bad can happen. But remember, this red line here, if they cross that, you can actually kill people. Okay? And so they sat people down and didn't actually hook up people to electrodes. They put an actor on the other side to act like they were being more and more uh, electrocuted as they go on. And they had people sit down in the chair and uh, ask trivia questions and press the button if they were wrong. Okay? Pretty much everybody, I think there was one person who stopped the experiment early. Everyone who did the experiment went well beyond that red line because there was a person in the lab coat saying, don't worry, it's okay, I'm a doctor, they'll be fine. They were willing to overcome their basic common decency hearing someone screaming and writhing in pain and get past the point where it might actually kill someone if it were really happening and they were still willing to press that button because there was a person who looked like they were in authority sitting there saying hey it's okay just go on ahead keep pressing in the most recent incarnation of this experiment there was literally only one person who didn't get past this point And the one person who didn't get past this point never pressed the button once because as soon as they were told, as soon as she was told what the experiment was like, she said, I hear what you're saying and I understand your experiment. I apologize. I'm unwilling to participate because I am unwilling to inflict pain on another person for any reason. She had already thought through various situations and she had decided inflicting pain is something she is not willing to do. And therefore, she is the only person who didn't move past the point of killing someone. I want you to look through examples of injustice and think through how you should act or how you would like to act in those situations, because I guarantee you, for nine out of ten of us, or probably more, our general instinct is to sit back and listen to whatever people around us are saying that they're going to do. Whoever looks most authoritative in the room, they're probably fine. We'll just do it. And we may sit back and take our pictures or video on our phones but we're not going to act unless we already determine that we'll act in some way, shape, or form. Make sense? Yeah. Do you guys got your takeaways for this? Yeah. Big one. What is true justice? Someone shouted out, what's true justice? True justice is based on who God is and what he has done, right? How do we act just as followers of Christ? We remember who he is and what he has done, and we try to act accordingly. Make sense? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the fact that your justice is merciful and graceful. We praise you for the fact that you choose to give us what we don't deserve, which is relationship with you, and you withhold from us what we deserve, which is distance and separation from you. We praise you for the fact that you took on our sin, our debts, our iniquity, and you paid us. You gave us back. You. Father, as we go throughout this week, allow us to see what justice actually is as we relate to the world around us. Lord, give us eyes to see how you would want us to act whenever we see various unjust situations occur. May we love like you loved. May we serve like you served. And may we glorify you in everything we do. Father, allow us to be a people who glorify you. I praise you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done. It's your name we pray. Amen.
3: So, um, the sermon actually ties in really well to what I was preparing to speak on for communion. So, usually for communion, we talk about an aspect of how can we bring about the body of Christ throughout the world. Um, how Christ was broken and poured out for us. How are we being broken and poured out for the world. And uh, tying along with the sermon in the year of Jubilee and things like that, um, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of this type of theology or have maybe participated. I know I have. Um, but it's known as Us Versus Them Theology. It's the idea that there's us that have like kind of a better standing with God and them, the people that are of the world that aren't good enough to be with God. Um, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but um, basic scripture, I mean, Paul destroys this when, you know, he says there is no Greek nor Jew. Uh, the Jewish culture at that time, Chris and I have actually been talking about that, at that time actually had praises where they're just like, thank you, God, that I'm not like the Gentile and I can be closer to you. And so in our own lives... Uh, How are we acting that way? Because Paul debunks it and says, no, you're all equal. You know, so for who are the thems in our life? Is it Islam? Is it the LGBTQ community? Is it our own brethren? You know, is it a fellow Christian within the church or even within a different denomination? An example of this is Jeremy and I have very different outlooks on theology, on different things. But if I look at him and Anna's children, the way that they respect and honor people, that's like the standard of maturity For me in our church, if Chris is like, is someone adult enough to, you know, kind of step into leadership? I'm like, do they act like they're children? Because regardless of where we stand, theologically speaking, they both honor and glorify God, and their kids recognize that. In the same sense, there's another gentleman this week that I talked to that he saw a homeless man on the side of the street. The them, if you will. And instead of just going to McDonald's and picking up a hamburger, which not, there's anything against that or anything like that, he went home and prepared a meal and took it to that person. And as he did it, someone that he didn't even know started cheering out of their car saying, thank you. You know, they saw that. They recognized that. Because it wasn't us versus them. That's a human. And you respect them with humanity the same way that we should be as well. And so as you go throughout your week, I just ask that, you know, you question, is there an us versus them theology in some aspect of your life? Because in all of us, there probably is. At least there is in myself. I pray daily for God to have mercy on me for that, because instead of just being like, you are the people that chose to walk away from me, you are the people that chose to not follow the year of Jubilee. But you know what? I came and sacrificed myself. I gave of myself. You know, I literally broke myself and poured myself out so you could have standing with me and that authority comes from me regardless of what you do or don't do. So meditate on that. Think on that. Be reconciled with one another and uh, come up whenever you're ready.
1: Would you please stand with me as we close in one more song this morning?
2: No tongue can bid me then depart No tongue can bid me then depart When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within then Upward I look and see Him there Who made an end to all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and Look on Him and pardon me Behold Him there, the risen Lamb My perfect spotless righteousness The great unchangeable I am The King of glory grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him God, the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me.
1: God, thank You. Thank You that You gave us all what none of us deserved and You took on what we deserved on Yourself, who deserved nothing but praise, and goodness, and everything perfect. You took on our sin. You took on our debt, and you set us free. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can never thank you enough, but may we live lives that demonstrate that to everyone else, that you are just, you are great, that it is your justice that counts, not our own. May we freely give of ourselves. May we love others the way you love. We thank you, God. Help us, because it is only through your power that we can do that. We love you. May we demonstrate you to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. All right, so stay standing for just a second. For God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Amen, right? If that is what justice looks like, if that is what Christ has done for us, what is it that we are not willing to do for him? Thank you, everyone, for coming out this week. Go forth. Be the church.